Waste to Germany. My name is Brian Scheinemann. I am the director of the DAD Information Center in Malaysia. And with me today, once again, like last week, is our senior consultant, uh, Itzide Idrus. Itz, how are you today? I'm doing well, very, very, I'm doing very well, Brian. How are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. So we just had a lot of rain passing through, so it cooled down a little bit. Um, yeah, everything is fine at the moment with me. Let me just introduce you um, to uh, the listeners uh, who are joining us uh, today for the first time. Um, it's you are um, an alumnus from Germany. You studied in Germany uh, at U of the um, University of Applied Sciences in uh, Offenburg. I learned this by now. And <laughs> you studied uh, process and um, environmental engineering at the Universe of Applied Sciences. Those of you who are not familiar uh, with the concept of a uni uh, Universe of Applied Sciences, um, go to our previous um, episode uh, where we explain uh, the differences between a university and a University of Applied Sciences. Um, we will pick it up actually also in future episodes. Uh, this will be an ongoing topic, I suppose, when we talk about the, the concept of the German tertiary education um, system uh, in uh, Germany. Okay. Um, and uh, we both, uh, you, it's and and I, we are uh, representatives of the DAD here in uh, Malaysia. Um, it's what's the DAD? Yep. All right, the DAAD. If you say it in German, it's the Deutsche Akademische Austauschdienst, which is a mouthful as well. Uh, but if you actually translate that one into English, it becomes the German Academic Exchange Service. So it becomes a lot more palatable on the tongue uh, once you translate it into English. And our job is really to promote higher education and also research in Germany worldwide. Mm, exactly, yes. Um, we are a little bit of, of a marketing unit here in, in uh, Malaysia, uh, promoting study and research um, in Germany. And um, the DAD um, in general has got an annual budget uh, of almost 600 million euros to foster mobilities um, of um, students and researchers, and with this to build bridges among countries, uh, among um, academics between countries, um, and to bring... Uh, tertiary education representatives as as well as students together around the world and with this to to open up the dialogue and to make sure that we get a better understanding of each other and also to um, attract talents to to Germany that's also one part um, uh, we don't have uh, a monetary interest in in uh, getting students uh, or researchers coming to Germany um, tertiary education as you may know is for free we touched this uh, two episodes ago if I'm not mistaken so mm -hmm. we'll listen to to that episode again if you would like to find out more um, you can also catch us on uh, um, on Clubhouse where we have been yeah. um, appearing last week for the first time that was quite fun uh, discussing also why tertiary education in Germany is for free so join us also um, in this um, uh, in this format um, it's why should anyone listen to us why should anybody listen to us? Well, uh, I think between the two of uh, the two of us, we actually have quite a lot of experience uh, studying in Germany. Uh, I think. Well, Brian, you're German as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I'm half you, German. you've yes, <laughs> half German, and you've been in Malaysia for a very long time too. Yes. And for myself, I've been in Germany for a total of about ten years. Uh, so when I was younger, and also uh, for my tertiary education. 
I also worked in Germany and my, uh, on the personal side, I've had a few German girlfriends as well. So uh-huh. I think people should listen to us because we have a very wide range of experiences in both uh, Germany and Malaysia. Mm, that's true. That's true. Yes. Uh, so you already gave a hint actually that you quite enjoyed your time in, in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> very much. Yes. <laughs> And uh, for those of you um, who uh, are considering studying in Germany, uh, this po- podcast is basically perfect for you. But uh, for those of you who are just maybe popping in and, and trying to figure out what this is all about, we will also touch a little bit um, uh, the culture of, of Germany and um, um, trying to convey actually what, what German culture is all about and uh, give a better understanding to you. And uh, today, uh, our um, our agenda usually is we, after the welcoming we have uh, our personal experience and then we will start with our main topic um, we have one rubric uh, that we touch uh, each week which is a fun facts germany and um, yeah that's uh, that's a concept of our podcast um, so i would like to um, kick off our podcast today with my question to you it's uh, your personal experience as an alumnus from germany how do you make friends with germans can you share your experience is it possible i mean the germans <laughs> they are known to be loud and rude and uh, uh, not so uh, warm-hearted maybe as the malaysians i'd say is it possible to make friends with germans it's it is actually very much possible to make friends with germans i think uh, at the very beginning though you might uh, find it a bit daunting uh, you're in a different country with a different culture and different people and they all speak a different language compared to how you were raised so in that terms yes it can be very scary at the beginning uh, but eventually you know people are actually a lot more open nowadays uh, germans tend to be the uh, number one travelers worldwide if i'm not mistaken they they really enjoy going on holiday everywhere so it won't be that strange if your fellow class classmates tell you, oh, I've been in Bali, oh, I've been in Thailand, oh, I'd had a stopover in KL. Uh, it's actually, the world has become a lot more open. Well, obviously not this year and last year, but before that, everybody was traveling around everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it is getting a lot easier, actually, because so many Germans, uh, not, no, not many people know this, but when you're a school student in Germany, you actually need to sit for, first of all, the German language, plus one additional foreign language, if I'm not mistaken, Brian. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, uh, actually, uh, two foreign languages. Uh, we are required oh. to, to um, uh, speak uh, or have uh, um, a certain um, amount of years um, under our belt uh, in two foreign languages. Um, usually it starts with English, of course, and then... Um, the brave ones uh, will take Latin in school uh, <laughs> and then after maybe one year they will drop, drop it immediately because they discover way, this is way too complicated and pick up French instead. And uh, we also have a couple of schools actually that uh, also offer um, other languages like, like um, Spanish and so forth. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So you'll actually find that so many of your, co- of your colleagues in uh, the, the university, they will actually be able to speak English as well. Mm. And... Uh, as I said before, Germany, uh, Germans, they tend to travel quite a fair bit. So they are very open to different nationalities. And especially when you tell them, oh, I'm from Southeast Asia, you can see their eyes pop open and they realize, ah, okay, so if I want to go to Bali, I'll know who I can stay over with if I drop down <laughs> in that region of the world. 
Yeah, yeah, De- yeah. Def- definitely, yes. Um, so um, especially for, for uh, young students, actually, um, Southeast Asia is always on the bucket list. We don't have the concept like in, uh, in Britain or the UK um, where um, students are taking a gap year um, after graduation or uh, before starting their, their studies. Um, this is a little bit uh, unusual, but it's, uh, Germans also... Um, yeah, around the world, um, quite often to be seen as as backpackers. That's a very uh, common um, uh, way of traveling for for um, uh, Germans in general, and they especially like to explore uh, nature. So therefore, Malaysia or Southeast Asia is, is a fantastic destination because we love to go to the forest um, and to experience uh, crystal clear water um, and diving with the fishes. As uh, soon as we find any place where you have an attack nature that's uh, <laughs> just perfect uh, for for us Germans mm-hmm. oh yes exactly plus uh, I think a lot of Germans are actually already exposed to Thailand uh, so the moment mm-hmm. they meet you they assume oh okay you're from Thailand and then you tell them no I'm actually from Malaysia and then they ask you oh, where's Malaysia sometimes <laughs> that happens <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah yeah it's it's a little bit of, of the fate of, of Malaysia um, in, in Germany that uh, this country is uh, slightly under the radar um, of course Thailand is, is well known Singapore is also known but uh, um, yeah a lot of Germans actually don't have any clue actually what's, what's between these two countries and then you say oh it's, it's Malaysia yes 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 I uh, a couple of things so yeah. uh, th- this is a good opening um, just to explain where you're from and then uh, you already make friends with Germans that's already enough um, no no actually I think my, my first few German friends they were my roommates uh, so they were my mm-hmm. flatmates once you got off to Germany mm-hmm. and uh, so now usually in the first year you'll be put into the student hostel and the student hostel uh, you may not be with other Malaysians um, so in my first year there or my first semester I stayed in a three-bedroom hostel mm-hmm. or a three-bedroom shared unit, and I shared my unit with uh, two Polish people, I think, or Polish okay. Germans. Yeah. Uh, so I got to know them a little bit better, and then uh, I became the unofficial chef for the uh, apartment. <laughs> uh, so whenever they came home from clubbing or whatever, you know, at like 3 a.m., and they wanted something to eat. I'd be the person cooking for them, and you know, I'd do like sambal and all of that nasi goreng stuff. Uh, so food is is a fantastic way of opening people up. Oh yeah, uh, that, that, that's absolutely true. Absolutely. I mean, uh, this is how you can win over um, uh, Germans easily by uh, cooking your uh, local dishes uh, for them. And uh, um, I would say, in gen- general, um, Germans are uh, quite uh, explorative. They uh, don't mind trying new things. Um, and um, I mean, uh, the Malaysian cuisine is very delicious. So uh, oh, yes. that was that was an easy way into their hearts, wasn't it? Oh, very easy, yes. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. the moment you become the cook and then you show them, oh, this is what uh, me goreng should actually taste like. And then their the whole world just flips open and they realize, mm. oh, they've been eating something which was horrible, a, a, a horrible, um, a pale uh, twin to uh, nasi goreng and me uh, goreng. That's oh, yes. what they've been raised with. <laughs> okay, okay, absolutely. Um, so... I think that that's already a very good uh, takeaway from what you've been describing so far. Um, if you go as an international student to, to Germany, don't make the mistake, uh, try to look out for um, um, other people from your country, but rather go to um, uh, rent a place, a room um, in a shared flat. Uh, that's uh, absolutely typical for um, German students. 
and um, you will be with other Germans or with other international students uh, mixed. Um, and that's the perfect starting point, actually, to make uh, good friends uh, uh, while you're studying in, in Germany. Very true. And uh, that's something that I've seen with many Malaysians as well. They tend to get over to Germany and then they form their own small little kampung. Mm. And the moment they have their kampung, they don't really go out of their comfort yeah. zone. So yes. they just end up speaking uh, Bahasa the entire time. Yeah, uh, Which is, uh, it's a really, um, it's a missed opportunity, I'd say. Because once they return home, they, they tend to forget quite a fair bit of their German language. Mm -hmm. And it becomes such a disadvantage then. They've lost uh, one whole language which they've been studying for maybe six years of their life. Mm, yes, 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 absolutely correct. Um, yeah, you need to move out of your comfort zone. And I know in the beginning it can be uh, quite daunting being in a foreign country for the first time. Um, of course, we all have the tendency uh, in these moments when we feel insecure to revert back to our community that we are familiar with that speaks our language. Um, but try to overcome this, uh, this beginning um, and uh, move forwards rather than than backwards because uh, it's for your own good and uh, it's I know you're a little bit more outgoing than than the average uh, international student I'd say do you have um, any other tips actually for uh, introverted uh, students who still would like to to meet uh, Germans are there other ways to get to know Germans other ways to get to know Germans um, back during my time there was actually something called a Studiefeldset uh, mm -hmm. or Studi VZ. Uh, this website which uh, looked very much like Facebook. So back then you could meet them through that way. You are that old, yeah? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we just dropped it actually. Studifon said, my goodness, that rings a very, yeah, very far fake belt. <laughs> um, but nowadays, uh, I haven't been to university mm. in 10 years roughly. So I think mm. uh, a student party is always the fr uh, best way to meet pe up with people. Okay. Uh, and also, if you're really an introvert and uh, you like studying in small groups or something like that, uh, what you'll learn in university is that you will actually build up these small little cliques and you and like-minded people will somehow gravitate together and you will actually learn together. So that's one of the best things that you can do for yourself as a student uh, and also as an academic Um you really need to get along well with your peers mm. and they will teach you things which you would have never learned and they can also help you with any German words that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, you can also teach them some ways that uh, we learned here, for example, in school. Um, so you can teach them some of the tips and tricks that we learned doing mathematics, which oh, okay, uh, Germans yes. didn't grow up with. Yeah, the, the good news uh, is, I would say, from coming from Malaysia with uh, an A level or an um, IB, but typically with, with an A level, is um, that with your um, um, calculus and advanced uh, math in your A levels, you are um, slightly ahead of the the German student coming with the Abitur with the German version of the A level, and uh, so um, that's also a, a good. Uh, um, a great advantage actually in the beginning of your studies uh, for the first semester when you still are struggling a little bit with uh, um, the language but in terms of uh, mathematics uh, you will be uh, slightly ahead of uh, the German students. Is that also your experience? It's Yes, that's very true. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think the mathematics that we learned during A-levels mm -hmm. actually so actually was around the same type of math mathematics that you would learn in the second semester of engineering. Mm -hmm. So mathematics, chemistry, biology, all of those science, uh, science subjects and also physics, 
it would just be a recap the first mm. two semesters. Yeah, uh, but that yeah. doesn't mean that you should sit on your butt and not do anything. <laughs> uh, that should actually, <laughs> that's the perfect time for you to pull ahead and uh, learn a little bit more about what's coming up in the further semesters. Exactly. And socialize as much as possible with your fellow oh, students. Yes. <laughs> make, make as many friends as possible. Um, because um, uh, to survive at the university, um, it's really helpful to have a strong network of um, fellow students um, who you will be um, having uh, learning groups with. And um, eventually you will also um, uh, are asked uh, to um, to form a group when you are working on a project uh, um, which you are uh, presenting together. And um, this is another great opportunity uh, to get to know other students. Um, um, just open up yourself a little bit and uh, embrace the opportunity to get to, to know yes. um, uh, other people. And they are in the same situation. When they start their studies, they also have no clue what's going on, even if they're from Germany. Um, and they are as insecure about everything as you are, even <laughs> if if they don't show it uh, this clearly. Everybody is hiding yes. uh, their insecurities. Fantastic. Okay. And as a pro tip, which I actually have now that I'm a bit older, networking network mm -hmm. as much as you can because you mm. have no idea which one of your fellow colleagues is going to be the next elon musk and that's yes. a huge possibility especially if you are in the technical field absolutely absolutely true and maybe one last tip from my side uh, for for the introverts of the of you um uh, germany is has got gazillions um, of associations and clubs so um it doesn't really matter what kind of interest you have whether you like to play um, uh, football uh, whether you like to play chess uh, any kind of sports any kinds of activities whether you like uh, to collect uh, um, stamps it doesn't really matter for any kind of interest, we have an association or club in Germany and in, in all the cities, actually. And uh, so you just um, enter um, these associations uh, with uh, uh, for your particular interest and uh, you are welcome because or you already have a sh um, common ground to talk about. And that's a very easy way um, to get to know Germans. And once you get to know Germans, um, uh, uh, I think that's uh, quite remarkable um, about uh, these uh, uh, this culture is uh, you make um, a friend for a lifetime so uh, and this is also maybe one of the reasons why the Germans uh, tend to be a little bit more reserved in the beginning um, because uh, they they know actually uh, um, opening up to someone um, uh, is a commitment very often for a lifetime I don't know whether you also made uh, friends for a lifetime uh, from your previous uh, uh, time in Germany it's oh yes definitely Mm -hmm. uh, every time I go back uh, to Germany, I actually meet up with them. And uh, mm -hmm. sometimes they also come down here to Malaysia and they have a place to stay. And if I go up to Germany, I also have a place to stay. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. fantastic. You see, friends for a lifetime. Okay, with this, um, we will now come to our main topic today. Um, why to study in Germany in the last episodes. We uh, tapped already um, uh, the first uh, four um, selling points. Uh, we had top quality, diversity, um, a very practice-oriented education, and um, a stable and safe environment. Um, if you uh, would like to know more about this and you missed it, uh, look uh, 
um, listen to our previous episodes uh, where we discussed uh, these four topics. Today is uh, topic number five, uh, why to study in Germany. It says, unlock your potential. And I will just read what uh, the website Study in Germany uh, says as uh, the fifth uh, good uh, selling point, why to study in Germany. It says, in Germany, you can make the most of yourself. There you can develop your intellectual abilities and personal skills freely and reach your full potential. If you are out to achieve great things, you will find that determination, motivation and commitment open many doors both during and after your studies. It's what do you say about this statement? True or false? It's yeah, very true. Very, very, very true. true. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why is that? Uh, because in Germany, you have the sense that nobody cares who your father is. Nobody cares if you have a title or how much money you have. What mm-hmm. really matters the most is are your grades. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. so, so um, it's it's all about merits, you would say, in, in, in Germany. Definitely, yes. Very, mm-hmm. very true. Yeah. Uh, it's about the merit and also a fair bit of your soft skills as well. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, I mean, compared to... Uh, Unfortunately, here in Malaysia, you know, where those things do play a role, um, you know, it helps to know somebody who knows somebody. But in Germany, it's really about your grades and how well you do. Yeah, yeah, and that's absolutely true. In Germany, it doesn't doesn't really help whether you know anyone. Um, <laughs> if if you don't uh, bring your uh, the academic merits uh, to enter the university, uh, no, uh, no one else actually can help you uh, get into it. Uh, that's that's not an option. You really need to, to apply yourself uh, to get into the university and get the respective uh, study um, placement uh, you try to to achieve, and then also during your studies. Um, it doesn't mean that that you need to be um, a super smart. Of course, that helps, but um, uh, it's um, also um, um, uh, uh, part is also the effort actually that you show uh, during your studies, and uh, and then also the ability maybe to to reach out when you see uh, you really need help. Uh, you've come to to the end of of uh, your conclusions and you don't know how to move forward. Reach out to, to your professor, and he is more than happy actually to to help you further or um, at least um, point you in the right direction where you can get further help uh, with uh, tutors um, or if, if there are any other problems actually also there um, are uh, usually at every university there are organizations um, and uh, departments which can always um, help you along the way. Yes, that's true. That happened to me as well uh, yep. back mm-hmm. in Germany. Yeah. Uh, I think it was during the third or fourth semester and I felt like I was not doing too well and mm-hmm. There were some struggles, especially with being uh, Malaysian overseas and not having uh, your family with you and your close friends with you. Yeah. And it, uh, I needed somebody to talk to. So my maths professor, he actually pointed me in the direction of, uh, I think, what was it called? Uh, kein Stress or no stress f- mm-hmm. uh, in front of the, before the examinations or something like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And yeah. there was uh, this very lovely woman who was also a psychologist, and mm-hmm. uh, she helped me get over my, uh, as they say in German, your innere Schweinehund. <laughs> 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 this one you definitely need to explain. <laughs> yes. So the innere Schweinehund, if you directly translate it into English, it means your inner pig dog or your inner <laughs> dog pig. What is uh, that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, it's this the side of you which is inside of you and tells you, you know, to procrastinate. 
mm. and mm. tells you, oh, you know what? Uh, you can study later on. Like, everybody's going out for a drink. Go and join them. Come on. Mm. You know, yeah, the exams are like five months away. What are you doing mm. studying now? So it's this inner Schweinehund uh, mm-hmm. that keeps on telling you to postpone things and to procrastinate. Um, so you have to learn from a very early point uh, to, to manage it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's he's working uh, against you, um, even though um, on on a deeper level, actually, he's trying to protect you from from uh, um, failure or anything like this by uh, talking you into procrastination. Um, and so we we have the saying, yes, that's true. The uh, inneren Schweinehund, just ignore this inner voice who is trying to divert you from from your um, higher goals of of reaching uh, your degree or passing all the exams that you need in in order order to move um, forward. Uh, okay, so you received uh, help in this matter. That's that's very good to hear. Yeah. So they're, they're always, um, yeah, there's always um, help avail- available if you um, ask for it and, and reach out for it. Fantastic. Wonderful. Okay, we will come now to, to our rubric, which is uh, true or false. Um, and I have prepared fantastic statements and I'm very sure you won't get a single <laughs> statement, true or false, correct this time because I'm so well prepared. How about yourself? Have you also uh, brought um, statements for me to uh, decide whether they're true or false? I have some statements for you. I don't know if it's true or false yet because I don't know how to formulate it into a question. Oh, okay, uh, okay. But these are three interesting facts and uh, uh-huh. we'll discuss it in a bit. Yeah. Okay. I, the first one, I love it. Let, let's see how, <laughs> what, what you make uh, of it. Okay. Here is um, the statement. So, um, Chancellor Angela Merkel has a Lego set made after her and her chancellery in Berlin. Is this true or is this false? So the Lego company, everybody knows also in Malaysia, Lego is available from Denmark um, and they have decided to come up with uh, a set um, depicting Angela Merkel um, and her chancellery uh, and... um, in, it comes along also with the, with the rostrum where she stands behind, and then some German flags. Uh, it's beautiful, and um, yeah, it's 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 quite quite uh, unique actually. And it was uh, made two years ago, in particular to uh, to honor um, uh, the German uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel. Is it true or false? I would say true. You would say true. I knew I could trick you into <laughs> <No>. <laughs> by, make, by making a very elaborate story. But um, the true story is is uh, equally fascinating. Uh, it's not Lego that uh, came up uh, with a version of Angela Merkel, but it's Barbie. Can you believe it? <laughs> yes. Okay. You see, On, I, I knew about the Barbie one. <laughs> oh, you knew? Oh, fantastic. So I brought you in the wrong direction. So on Thursday, uh, the 5th of February uh, 2009, um, Barbie unveiled uh, a one-of-a-kind Angela Merkel Barbie doll in honor and recognition of uh, Germany's first female chancellor um, at the 60th International Toy Fair in Nuremberg, Germany. And uh, Barbie has uh, chosen, or Mattel has chosen to honor um, and recognize the Chancellor Merkel as a very modern role model for girls. And uh, Chancellor uh, Merkel has successfully led her country while also having major impact with her work in Europe, where she received the Charlie Mann Prize, uh, for instance, in recognition of her relentless work to reform the European Union in 2008. 
eight, and um, I suppose uh, you are familiar also with the fact um, Angela Merkel is now for uh, 10 consecutive years um, uh, on the Forbes uh, magazine uh, list of uh, the most powerful woman. So um, uh, she has been, I think, for, for the last 10 years, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the number one most powerful woman in, in the world uh, at present time. So, uh, yeah, the true story was that it was Barbie, but not Lego. Okay, good. It's your turn. Okay, very good. That's that's interesting, Brian. <laughs> you tricked me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know how to trick you. Okay, uh, let's see. How should I formulate this one? All right. So Fanta, Fanta, the fuzzy, the fizzy orange drink, mm -hmm. was created by Coca Cola in Germany. Mm. True or false? That's a good one. I know in my childhood uh, we indulged ourselves with both and uh, mixed them also. I know that um, Coca-Cola and I don't know whether it's Coca-Cola, but Cola and, and Fanta mixed together is, is also a product um, available in Germany, which is called Mezzomix. Um, I think I think it's true. I think it's true, yeah. It's, it's false, actually, oh. but there's a reason behind this. It's, uh -huh. it's, it's quite tricky, though. So what happened was Coca-Cola was actually in Germany before World War II. Uh, and uh, they hired, of course, they, they entered the German market and they, they were really huge Coca-Cola. Uh, but then came the Olympic Games in Munich. Mm -hmm. And of course, by then, the Nazi party had already taken over Germany. Mm -hmm. And they had Coca-Cola, which was one of the main sponsors, right next to the swastika flags. Mm -hmm. And Coca-Cola then said, no, we don't want to be associated with these type of people. Uh -huh. So they, they said, okay, no, we're going to stop all of our uh, production in Germany and we're mm -hmm. pulling out. Mm -hmm. So during World War II, they actually pulled out and the, the German uh, guy that was actually the CEO of Coca-Cola in Germany, mm -hmm. he said, we need a different drink now for the people here to drink because Coca-Cola is not here anymore. So what else can we do? Mm -hmm. So then he actually said, okay, we're going to get all our chemists together and we're going to come up with a new drink. And that's how Fanta got invented. And it's supposed to taste like orange. Yes, <laughs> it's supposed to. <laughs> you, you, you have the feeling of drinking something health, healthy compared to Coca-Cola, but it's uh, um, the equal uh, overly sugared uh, um, beverage, actually, and uh, doesn't is not uh, conducive to your health uh, equally to Coca-Cola, I guess. Yes, Absolutely fascinating. True. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. You tricked me. Wonderful. Well done. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Let me see what I can do actually with the next one. Um, okay. This is about uh, um, language and um, you're completely fluent in, in German and you're also familiar with the German language. You learned it uh, from scratch um, and also quite intensely at Intech Education College in Charlotte before you went to uh, to Germany. Um, so here's my statement. The longest published German word has 69 letters. The longest, longest published German word has 69 letters. Which is quite a lot, isn't it? This is a very much, yes. Mm. Oh, it's, mm. I know Germans love their compound words. That's exactly it, correct. It and we can might talk just be possible. This. I'm going to say true. You're going to say 
true. Mm. So you were absolutely correct. We Germans love our compounds and um, actually, theoretically, there's, there's no, no end to it. We can combine all the words available in the German language and also throw in uh, some uh, foreign words and keep on going, uh, basically um, combining all the, the nouns um, in, in the world into one long compound. Uh, but the question was uh, the longest published German word. So that makes it then really official and also used. Okay. And the statement was false. I tricked you once again. My <laughs> goodness. Um, the longest published German word has 79 letters. It's even longer. And uh, I will read it to you. And then you tell me uh, what the meaning of this word is. Let's see whether oh, you can God. figure it out. Uh, you know um, already one part of it, I'm, I'm very sure, because uh, that's quite known in, in, in the German culture. Donau Dampfschifffahrts Elektrizitäten Hauptbetriebs Betriebswerkbau unter Beamtengesellschaft. <laughs> okay, so with German compound words, it's best to start at the back and then that's work correct. your way that's forward. That's correct, yes. Uh, uh -huh. Okay, so Gesellschaft, that's like association, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, uh, yes. And then it has Beamtengesellschaft, Beamtengesellschaft, so it's an association for, for uh, civil servants. For civil servants, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. And the more further you work your way self forward, the Donau shifts. So that's the, of course, for the river Donau. Uh -huh. And it's probably for the ships which travel along the river. Uh -huh. But it's uh, steamboats. Donau steamboat. Schifffahrt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's an association for um, civil servants, but it's not um, uh, any civil servants. It's for Unterbeamte, so the low-grade um, civil servants. Um, and uh, they are in Betriebswerkbau. Uh, I, had, I have no idea actually how to translate this. And um, so, um, yeah, it starts, as you mentioned, with Donau Dampfschifffahrts Elektrizitäten Hauptbetriebswerkbau. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. And then, oh, and then the rest grief. of it. <laughs> okay. So that's our longest word that we have, the pu longest published work, I have to say. Oh, okay. 79 letters, unbelievable. Okay. Um, Your turn. All right, my turn. Um, Everybody knows that uh, Johannes Gutenberg, a very famous in German inventor, he was the one that came up with the printing press. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, obviously it would be his name uh, that was printed uh, in the books which he first printed. Is that true or false? I reckon it is uh, the publisher who wanted to be uh, printed in, in the book. It was the Bible that was first printed, if I'm not mistaken, for it the was first the Bible, time. That's correct. And um, I assume that um, the publisher uh, demanded to be, uh, to be named, uh, and Gutenberg was not named. Could, could that be? That is true, but not completely for the reason okay. that you think. Okay. Uh -huh. um, so Gutenberg was, yes, of course, the one who came up with the, uh, the printing press. And what happened was his financier, uh, who was also called John or Johann. So his name was Johann Fust or Faust. And Johann mm -hmm. Fust was the one that financed this whole Gutenberg invention of the printing press. Yeah. And eventually Gutenberg couldn't pay him back. 
Oh, yes. So the, the sponsor uh, decided actually that he, uh, after he uh, wouldn't be paid back, uh, um, he deserves all the laureate for, uh, for having spent so much money on it. Very true. So okay. on okay. in the 42-line Bible and the 1457 um, Salta, mm -hmm. it was, uh, his name was Johann Fust. He actually sued Gutenberg. He won <sighs> the case. Okay. And in those books were actually printed his name then. So Gutenberg is not mentioned in all the uh, first... Uh, not the first editions, no. Oh, unbelievable. Yes. Which, which are worth millions of, <laughs> of euros nowadays, aren't they? Probably, yes. Yeah, but uh, we, we still... Uh, I mean, uh, his name survives, so... Uh, um, it's uh, not not too bad actually that he's not yeah. his name is not mentioned. <laughs> Everybody knows actually now. Yeah, but of and course, no, um, yeah. um, what we we Germans like to to announce to the world actually that we are the inventors of of the systematic book printing, which is not true. The, the Chinese, of course, uh, have been printing also with uh, movable letters much earlier. Um, but um, it, it was still it was um, quite a media revolution that Gutenberg with his invention um, um, uh, triggered and. It led to um, uh, the spreading of literacy and also um, uh, a much bigger interest in, in literature in, in general, uh, where books um, all of a sudden could be uh, produced at a much lower cost. And uh, that uh, did tremendous uh, well, actually, for um, establishing a completely different culture compared to, to previous times where um, uh, books were something for the aristocrats and, and were only handled in, in the monasteries while uh, the, the common people uh, just had their songs and uh, didn't have much access actually to, uh, to books in general. Yes, very true. Okay, maybe one more. Um, would you like to have another challenge? Uh, yes, go ahead, Brian. Okay. The Cologne Cathedral took 432 years to build. 432 years. Okay, so I've read quite a number of books about it, especially from Ken Follett, the, mm -hmm. uh, the Pillars of the Earth. Pillars of the Earth, correct. Yes, a wonderful book. Yeah, uh, it is. Of course, Ken Follett's not German, but he wrote about cathedrals and how they're mm -hmm. built, and it seems like something that's quite believable because it mm -hmm. did take a very long time uh, to chip away those stones and then build them up, and sometimes there were fires. Um, uh -huh. Oh, but... Is it completed? Uh -huh. is, it, is, that, is that a technicality? I mean, I know they're still doing renovation works on it. Um, uh. Yeah, the, the, the Cologne, um, Cologne Cathedral is uh, considered to be a construction site um, forever because uh, it's such a, um, a, a big um, a monumental uh, Gothic uh, cathedral um, made out of um, limestone, uh, which is uh, very prone to uh, be affected by um, acid rain, for instance, um, that it's continuously um, under construction everywhere, but it's completed already by now. It's completed. Okay. So yes, did it take yes, yes. 432 years? That's the I'd question. say true. 
You say true. And once again, I tricked you. <laughs> oh, for I'm three this time. Okay. <laughs> I'm a devious person. Um, actually, it, it took uh, a total of 632 years, not 432 oh. years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but your, your assumptions were absolutely correct. Um, the construction started in uh, 1248, and then it halted in 1560. So until then, the construction was uh, continuously going on. It took them already um, three, almost 300 years. and um, But then they ran out of money and um, uh, Cologne had a, had a downturn in terms of their um, economy and uh, they couldn't uh, collect enough money to continue with the construction. And it, uh, um, construction only restarted in 1840. Um, and it was then completed in um, 1880. Uh, so uh, they had a construction site for quite a long while and basically just got uh, used to it. Um, so uh, only in the um, end of the 19th century, finally the Cologne Cathedral was completed. And um, maybe um, some additional information about this uh, magnificent building um, in one of the most beautiful cities also in Germany. I, uh, I studied in Cologne, so I have to say it, but uh, <laughs> it also comes from, from my heart. It's, it's a wonderful city. Um, the Cologne Cathedral can hold 40,000 uh, 40, people, 40,000. Oh, and wow. uh, uh, on a daily basis, uh, it uh, receives 20,000 visitors. Um, in terms of it, of its heights, of course, when you look at uh, the Petronas twins here, it may not uh, sound so impressive. It, um, it's 157 meters, um, and uh, it's uh, current. Uh, it's uh, the tallest twin-spired church in the world. Um, there are other cathedrals which are higher, but uh, they only have uh, one um, um, spire, so that's the main difference. Um, and it houses, uh, this is also something maybe not everybody knows, it houses the um, reliquary of the three kings. Um, they are stored there and uh, are on display and can be visited. And um, uh, maybe another fun fact, uh, when you see images of um, uh, the World War in, in, uh, in Germany and how everything, uh, all the big cities in Germany got destroyed, and of course uh, Cologne was also hit severely, um, you keep on wondering uh, how come that uh, the um, Allied bombers um, mm. couldn't couldn't hit this this massive huge uh, um, uh, um, structure uh, the cathedral and um, they uh, uh, particularly and deliberately uh, try to avoid it um, to uh, use it as a navigational landmark uh, to uh -huh. know because with this they then you just drop all your bombs around this this building and that's Cologne you definitely hit everything and uh, this is uh, then also um, how um, the rest of uh, the Cologne was uh, severely um, destroyed during the Second World War but nonetheless uh, the Cologne Cathedral uh, received 14 hits by aerial bombs uh, but still remained uh, uh, almost intact and it was also because of um, this skeleton structure of a gothic cathedral um, that uh, helped the, the the building to survive because the uh, uh, the blow of of the bombs just went through the building entirely and um, um, the Rhine um, uh, area over there is also prone to to earthquakes and uh, it was um, even at the beginning of the um, construction, it was already um, planned in such a manner that it can also withstand uh, earthquakes. So it's it's a very impressive uh, building, actually. 
Very true. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that about the Allied bombers, but it's mm-hmm. a good piece yeah. of history. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Do you have another one for me? Another one for you. I'm thinking. You, you of don't one, have actually. to. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but well, let's try this one out. I know. Um, okay, okay. Okay. All right. Challenge me. Yes. So of course, Brian, you know what spaghetti ice cream is. I know what spaghetti ice cream is. Yes. Our listeners don't, but we both know what it is. We will explain shortly. Uh-huh. All right. So the spaghetti ice cream in Germany, the initial flavor when he first came out was actually chocolate instead mm. of vanilla. Let me see. Chocolate. And I mean, of course, they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't have announced it to be spaghetti ice cream. Um, unless they would uh, would have tried to promote it as wholemeal spaghetti ice cream, which is, <laughs> which is something that is not so appealing. Um, how would they have pitched it, actually? Just, uh, oh, the first my. ones when he was testing it out. Okay, okay. I think that's, that's uh, false. Yeah, okay, yeah, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> All I right, mean, Brian, would you... you we, we have, you've got chocolate and vanilla right next to each other. And to which color do you refer when you try to make spaghetti? <laughs> good try. It's good try. All right. Uh, so spaghetti ice cream for our listeners out there is actually invented by this uh, Italian family that was living in Mannheim. Uh, so that's the southwest of Germany. And in the southwest of Germany, they have something, uh, a special type of pasta there called uh, Spätzle. So spätzle mm-hmm. is just this very easy pasta to make with just eggs, flour, and a little bit of water. Mm-hmm. And they have a special spätzle press. So it's like mm-hmm. a mashed potato press. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, instead of putting in potatoes into the press, you actually put in ice cream. Mm-hmm. And when you push it out, it comes off as long strands, which mm-hmm. looks like spaghetti. Mm-hmm. And of course, being an Italian family, they have a plate of vanilla ice cream, which looks like spaghetti. And on top of it, they put on strawberry um, sauce and uh, grated almonds. So it looks like a nice big plate of spaghetti. It's it's a very uh, bizarre uh, concept. Actually, I grew up uh, with with this uh, ice cream um, from from my childhood. And but if if you uh, see it for, uh, in the, for the first time, I suppose you have been in the situation. A spaghetti ice cream. You really wonder whether you should be this brave to to order it. <laughs> uh, how how was your first encounter with spaghetti ice cream? Oh, I was about twelve years old. Okay. I loved it. Oh, okay, it was okay, the okay. best thing. <laughs> yeah. So you you didn't find it bizarre that there was something actually that is usually a, a proper dish and with tomato sauce and and maybe some some cheese on top that is uh, pitched <laughs> as ice cream. No. Yeah. You you, you just trusted the Italian uh, ice cafe where you uh, been to. It's very bizarre, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. Yes, fantastic. So we have come to our end already. Um, and uh, with this, uh, we would like to thank you all for, for listening to us. Um, um, next week, uh, we will um, talk about um, how to make it um, to Germany. So uh, don't miss out this, uh, this episode uh, where we talk about uh, the requirements and uh, um, all the requirements, uh, such as certificates, language, um, 
um, the application procedure. And uh, we also tap a little bit into the, the visa um, requirements. Uh, so that will be our topic for next week. If you'd like to know more about um, uh, um, study and research in Germany, visit our website, daad-malaysia.org, where you can find all the information we talked about and much more, everything related to uh, study and research in Germany. And with this, I would like to thank you very much. All the best from my side. Yes, and for myself as well. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.